It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omni-channel digital journey of both brands and retailers. I'm, of course, your co-host, Sri, listen to my daughter's music at www.riaraj.com, R-H-E-A-R-A-J.com. Just learned at the time of this recording at Grocery Shop in Las Vegas, and that's why Brian has this strange uh, pyramid behind him. The Great that's Pyramid of Geezers. It's not. It's to be, there you go. <laughs> we just found out that my daughter is actually recording at ABC today in Bakersfield, California. There you go. And also follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter, who was part of the Dream Academy by Hyben Geffen Records, anchored with Universal Music Group yeah. on YouTube or Instagram. And joining me today is my co-host and friend, the managing director of Retail Cities North America and host of the Gildenberg Omni Comment and the CPG Guys Fast Forward. 
Mr. Brian Gilden Morgan. So how are you? I'm doing great, Tree. I have kids too. So let's talk about them. <laughs> they're they're not doing anything anywhere near as impressive. So let's go uh, ahead. So we're waiting. My uh, my my 15 year old kids are doing great in high school. They're killing it. Very Brian cool. is actually managing director of Retail Cities North America and host of the Gildan Bragami comment and yeah. also the fast forward. You notice how we don't talk about Shri's job. Instead, we talk about the kids. Yeah, exactly. That's why we so, do this. Yes. So, yes. So that's why I live. That's what I live for. Yeah, that's. Yeah, we know. So sure. before we get to our guests, let me remind everyone. Always, to subscribe. always living for others. That's what we, there think. You go. That's what we think. of. I like to give back. Once you take the elevator up, you got to send it back down. <laughs> our guest is looking at us like, can we move Gosh, on with the program, that's, please? That's beautiful, Shri. You know, you know our guest is busy today. <laughs> it's a conference. So before we so, get to our guest, so let I'm, me... I'm sure glad we're wasting stuff. Let, awesome. let me remind everyone, <laughs> let me talk over Brian and remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you use Apple or Spotify, please give us a rating. It helps feed the algorithm and makes our podcast more findable. We want to express our honored VR to be rated the number one CPG podcast for two years running, according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority. And we're very pleased to have other sister casts in the top 30, including the CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward by Mr. Gillenberg himself, and the FMCG Guys. And we're happy to be formal sponsors of Next Up, whose mission is to advance all women in business. We're giving away memberships to this prestigious network and organization. So drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com to learn more and take advantage of what Next Up has to offer. Links to our podcast, our sister cast, and our landing page on Next Up may be found in the digital liner notes of this episode. So we're going to go on here with the main event. Our guest joined the Coca-Cola organization in 2006, working his way up through the bottling organization, starting as a business planning controller into shopper marketing, then customer account management with iconic retailers like Waitrose and Sainsbury in the UK. A decade ago, he entered the digital realm, aiming to build transactions through all phases of the path to purchase. In 2015, he assumed the role as global customer director for Walmart International as part of the Coca-Cola company, and two years ago, he was promoted to vice president of Global Army Channel Commercial Strategy. Join me in welcoming to the podcast a second-time guest, <laughs> Simon Miles. Hello, Simon. Great to be with you in person today. For the record, you are the first and onlyest, if there was such a word, to feature in the show twice in a six-month period other than Mr. Byrne. There you go. Oh, so, yes. It's great so, to be back. Thanks for so being back, guys. This is, this is your fate in the future. You'll be, <laughs> you'll, be sit, you'll be sitting in front of a pyramid making terrible jokes. Or so, uh, you might become a co-host of the CPG class. <laughs> you have to pick which one you prefer. I'm the ghost of Christmas future. So, uh, <laughs> Before we get to the questions that we have prepared for you, Simon, would you give us a description of your role at Coca-Cola? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I also, uh, I've got a couple of kids. Because you know this is yes, how you guys started. Right? So hey, you know, yep. you know they're in thirties and twenties now. So okay, they're not really kids, but Where are they? Uh, living both in the UK, so uh, you know, but successfully leading you know adult lives, which is great when you're a parent, go. right? Job done. I look, for, I look forward so, to that. So. All good. Um, yeah. So um, my my job title it's a shocker. Vice President Romney Channel uh, Customer Platforms at, at Coke, it's like the longest job title ever. Um, essentially, it sits as part of our global. Uh, customer and commercial leadership role. Mm-hmm. So I look after all of the um, the work we do around the world with the kind of the, the big obvious players like you know Walmart and, and Amazon and others, um, but also in areas like um, food service, so you know food service aggregators as well as the growing area of B two B. So you know we get involved in that, and then internal it's kind of um, you know capability building and that kind of stuff as well. So it's pretty varied. And uh, we're going to get to some of those which you couldn't last time, like food service. I'm sure that's going to mm-hmm. come up in our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that overview, Simon. As a reminder, to find the first episode of Simon, simply go to your favorite listening platform and type Simon CPG Guys or on cpgguys.com. Search for Simon on the All Episodes link, which is on the homepage. 
In the digital liner notes of this episode, we'll of course include links to your LinkedIn profiles I'm in, Coca-Cola's LinkedIn page, and the website, of course, for our listeners to access while we go on with our conversation. So here's number one. Without further ado, without fail, I'm going to go to CPG Guys' favorite topic, and you're the right guy to answer it. <laughs> Buzzword of the year. Buzzword of the last three years. Retail media. <laughs> Fast-changing landscape. And we finally, 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 we have IAB talking about standards. In fact, I think something was put out there a few days ago. Yeah, that's uh, just Wednesday. It was uh, the IAB Connected Conference, Connected Commerce Conference in New York. Also my birthday. Now we know, uh, which is, of course, a Wednesday back in September. Yes. But we'd love to get your opinion on the reality of standards. Is this good? And is it realistic that we can expect retailers to actually comply with the standard of how to measure success? Yeah. Well, let's, what they offer. let's take those in two separate bits. Yes, it's good. Yeah. Um, very clearly, it's needed, right, by the industry. We've been talking about this for, for a long time, I think. Mm. You know, all of these networks are growing up, you know, in their own way, and there's, they're all very different. And so it's really important, I think, for us as an industry to get to some sort of standardization. This isn't probably the answer yet, right, but it's a really important addition, I think, to the literature in this space. And the reason I think we need it is because it's really hard, isn't it, to set objectives if you don't have an agreement on how you're going to measure it. What, what do the measurements actually mean? And so I think, you know, that desire to, to fulfill all the, all the great forecasts we're seeing about how much revenue is going to go over the next few years, unless we get some kind of standardization, that's not going to become a reality. And um, we can't grow sort of uh, sustainably, as it were. Um, and so I think it is really important that we get this kind of um, common language in place. Realistic, I would say let's wait and see um, because, you know, we've got to see it being taken on board, I think, by a number of retailers to, so that it becomes the common currency. And obviously it's very early days, so we're not, we're not seeing that yet. But it's one of the reasons why, you know, I think industry events that you'll see this, this topic coming up are really important because it's an opportunity for us all to discuss it and kind of get more alignment. So, yeah, I definitely think it's a good thing. Excuse me. What about the reality right. aspect? Do you think we're going to get there? I do. In the end, I do think because I think we have to, because I think, you know, to the point on if you can't measure it consistently or accurately, um, that in the end will turn the tap off of funding. Um, if people can't get to return on investment in a comfortable way and be able to compare against other forms of media, then, you know, there's an incentive there for everybody to get on board at some point. It'd be interesting because you've got a global remit on this, too. Right. Yeah. So my hypothesis is that in a rational marketplace, buyers tend to dictate the standards of the market, right? Because they, yeah. they're the ones with the money. Right. So it's only in an oligopolistic marketplace that sellers set the terms of the market. Mm -hmm. So there are re there are markets in the world like the US where there's 8 million retail media networks, right? Yeah. So my, my kids opened a lemonade stand. They have a retail media network called GravelNet. We're all very excited about it. Um, but, there's, but in a market like your homeland of the UK, yeah. where there's essentially five, um, yeah. I wonder, do you think that that standards conversation will evolve differently in a market that's structured differently than the U.S. It's an interesting one because it, I think inevitably it will it will develop slightly differently at probably a different pace. Yeah. Um, there's clearly a very strong imperative to get there in a market like the U.S. where you have so many different networks yes. that yeah. the proliferation is a nightmare mm -hmm. um, trying to manage this space. So that's what's driving to, to some degree the standardization. Yeah. Probably less urgent in um, in a market like the UK, as you say, where there's only a handful of players. Yes. But nonetheless, you know, you, you still need to be able, as a brand owner, you, you need to be able to take a look across these networks, compare one to the other, what it's offering, and not just across the retail media networks, but across media networks in general. Yeah, that's because if you've got $100 to spend, and at the minute you can spend it in so many different ways, right. whether that's, you know, TV, outdoor, 
you know, Google, Facebook, you name it, as well as these new new kids in town. Right. We need to be able to make those decisions. And if, if we don't get some element of comparability, it's very difficult to make the investment. Well, it's interesting, too, because for so long, I mean, Kara Pratt as a Kara Pratt's been saying that retail media is a Kara Pratt that from Kroger's been saying retail media is media for so long. We're going to make her T-shirts from the CPG guys <laughs> that she can give out yeah. that say retail media is media. There's a there's a flip side to that coin, to quote Robert De Niro from Heath. The flip side is, is the minute you become media, no matter how oligopolistic your market position is in the retail world, you lose your oligopolistic position as a media player, right? Even Tesco in the UK is a massive retailer. And a big part of the system. But if they're now compared to ITV and Google and all the other things you can advertise mm-hmm. on, they've got to be more standard because the money, if it's media, money can move be- between right. better understood media platforms and retail, right? Yes. And that comes down to the scale of your ambition, I think, as a retailer. Yeah. If, exactly. if you're happy to be just shuffling money around between trade budgets and shop budgets, yeah, that's it. Yep. then knock yourself out. Just you know, stay in your own, in your <laughs> have, own lane. Have a blast. Right? If you really want, though, to, to get the, the notion that we're, we're all kind of you know realizing is the promise of this thing, which yeah. is there's there potentially is incremental spend that goes into a retailer P&L at some point, then you, you, you're going to have to change the game and think a bit bigger, I think. Right, so, yeah. so I think that's a different, you know, different case. Brian, before you get into the next question, yes. I do want to check with you, Simon, your opinion of this very um, retail media thing that we just discussed in so many different ways from measurement to possibly hitting the retailer PL in a positive way uh, for retailers, etc. If you're a brand, is a marketing mix the right answer to how this should be solved? Um, not only. I think I think the the trick here is this is a different type of animal than we've seen before because of the proximity to the point of purchase and because of what you can do with it commercially. Um, yes, of course, the marketing mix argument is part of it, but actually the real strength of this is being able to join the dots all the way along end to end, I think, in your, in, in your organization. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's about landing some of the things that we want from a, a media and a marketing point of view, but it is also about how we drive transactions in a, in a way that we just haven't been able to measure the impact of that um, previously. So, you know, I don't think you can you can apply previous rules, if you like, mm-hmm. into this into the retail media. It just is a different beast. It's yeah. much broader than it has been before. So, you know, it's a it's a conundrum that we're all wrestling with as to and I'm sure we'll come on to this later around objectives and thing is it will it, depend on what what brand you're talking about, what your objectives are up front as to what data is really important to you. Finally, on that very topic, I'm, this question is going on forever. I'm sorry, but you can tell it's a favorite and the hottest topic yeah. today mm-hmm. in the industry. Who should budget for it? Is it does it belong to trade and mm-hmm. therefore commercial sales folks? That's the industry I've grown up in. And I asked you the marketing mix model, because yeah. or should it? Although the mix these days includes trade and carves it off as a round number, does or does it belong to marketing who should own it as a media plan, mm-hmm. or is it just a plethora and a mix and it's going to be different for everybody? I think for probably I can only speak to the bigger organisations on the CPG side, right? Where you do have at the moment a situation where there are lots of different budgets involved. You know, from you know obviously brand budgets, the media budgets, shopper marketing budget, trade budget, account budget. You name it. There's probably others. Um, and the way that I'm thinking about it at the moment is you need to be connected but not integrated. So it's very hard for us to make it sit in one place um, because of the nature of this thing doesn't lend itself to being categorised as one thing. And so what we're trying to do is is break down the silos in the organization, plan much more transparently together so that the impact is is there for all parties. 
but the budgets may well end up still sitting in the same place as they had. But they, you know, we're planning together in a much more transparent and open way than we have before. Yeah, trying to trying to modify the things that can be modified more easily yeah. rather than trying to yeah. uproot things that are. Because the minute you start trying to uproot trade budgets and move money around, then you get in the U.S. you get into Robinson-Patman conversations, exactly and, right. and anybody who yeah. wants to defeat change can call a lawyer. Correct. Just basically like it's like it's like phoning a friend who wants to be a millionaire. Yeah, yeah So yeah. you can basically solve the problem that way. So I think I think changing the workflow rather than trying to change yes, the bucket. I think that's the way I'm thinking about it. Otherwise, yeah. you're absolutely right. The sort of sales prevention department will come in and um, <laughs> just say no. Standing. So as we think about other things that um, retailers are both providing that are valuable, but they're also using as a uh, sort of an economic engine. Uh, we get to the topic of data, right? So data has become a monetized platform for retailers so coming from the UK. I know this is a new concept for you. So uh, <laughs> since the UK basically invented this 30 <laughs> yes. years ago, um, thank you to Edwina and Clive. There's a lot of data available, obviously. You've got data around consumer habits. You've got data around retail transaction data, both digital and physical. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, shelf, you've got digital shelf data. How are you thinking about all this like like what do you what do you do with all this data and then especially again in a global role you know as part of a global digital share group last week where we were talking about this with a bunch of people that have a, a global e-com role and just the complexity of trying to get digital shelf metrics coherent across markets so that everybody's kind of aligned against them and that people aren't poking holes in them like just the amount of work that goes into that is pretty significant so how do you think about all this? Stuff? yeah it's huge i mean i Personally, I welcome the sort of retail centricity of of that data because I think the more we get to that, the better. And and the reason I say that is because the real strength of this, potentially, if we get this right, is is how actionable it can be. Because when you think about the sort of the problem we have with aggregated data and panels and stuff historically is it's actually quite hard on a when you're sitting in front of an individual customer in an individual market Mm -hmm. who really wants to talk about what's happening with their shoppers in their store. Right. if you can get to the point where you're using the retailer-specific data for their platform, mm-hmm. I think you get yourself in a much better place where you can actually change the things and optimize what you want. Right. Um, and so it is difficult because you, you obviously need some kind of an umbrella kind of viewpoint or strategy. But right. I think how you execute that, I think, has to be cut. I think the way, the way you expressed that was really interesting. I never thought about it that way because this is the only – retail media is the ecosystem in which the seller of media – has not a vested, but a, like a wholly naked interest in where the thing is actually bought, right? right. Like, you know, NBC doesn't care where you buy a product, but yes. Walmart media really does. And as a result, the specificity of outcome in that network is not just a value add from a closed loop measurement point of view, but an essential part of the planning process Correct. as well. And it's the other part of the upside that, that doesn't get spoken about so much. There's the obvious revenue stream from buying the media in the first place, right? Yeah, which, sure, yeah. which, which, you know, everybody understands. But there's also the upside that if, if we get this to work, what you're potentially driving is, you know, basket incidents, basket sizes. You could sell more and, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, on, not a, on a consistent basis, right? Yeah. So for the retailers, it's double the reason why you yeah. want to get to that attribution and the accuracy of what you're doing mm-hmm. and to utilize the retailer-specific data. Mm-hmm. You thought we were done with retail media, didn't you? Oh, no. I've heard you guys before. So, um, <laughs> retail media, obviously, is a proliferation in the markets that you've seen globally. There aren't 200 retailers with retail media ecosystems. There's probably mm-hmm. five powerful ones, four powerful ones. Yes. Some cases, like Canada, maybe three. Mm-hmm. In this U.S. market, it's just a proliferation. And this, every retailer seems to have one, and now even in-store is a part of that retail media network. Is this the future we're going to experience as brands? 
or will there be some sort of a consolidation? Because surely brands cannot be shaping strategies on media with 50 retail media engines and retailers to be able to build a successful marketing mix model of any sort. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think, you know, there's already hundreds of these things, right? And that's just not a sustainable model for us to be buying into you know, an individual market, hundreds of, of networks. So I think the way it's going to go is there's going to be three levels to it, I think, in my head. One is, and the, old, the most obvious one, is, is the, the strategic big scale one. So, you know, Walmart, Amazon, those kind of guys, right? You've just got to play with those. Right. Um, and they offer a lot of scale and a lot of capability. And so that that is a kind of, yeah, so that's a given. I think there's also another group, which is those that have some, some kind of niche capability or targeting capability or audience that you might want to buy into. And if you just step outside of grocery for a minute, you know, if you're selling um, I don't know, Ferraris or you know, Rolls Royces or something, and someone had a network that was for people who own yachts, yes. you know, you might be interested in that. Yes. So, so there's going to be some kind of more specifically targeted networks, which will exist on their own. Yes. And then I think there's all the rest, which, you know, probably don't have the scale or the capability of the big guys, yes. don't necessarily have any particular angle on who they're talking to. Right. That's got to be an aggregated solution in my mind over time. Yeah. So in order to make it manageable, that we might want to buy in on an aggregated basis because it's you know it might have scale at that point, but there's no way we're going to go in and buy no. against 500 yeah. of them. It's just yeah. not practical. Well, no, it's. I mean, as I, I have a slide that basically the, that media buyers are interested in audiences that are one of three things: big enough that they can deploy their own audience definition within it, and like not have to worry about anything to your point, distinctive enough that it yeah. could serve as its own useful audience, even though it's small, it's a meaningful enough audience that can use that. So if I'm, a, if I'm an artisanal cheese producer in Vermont, <laughs> Wegmans' audience is going to be of real interest to me. Right. You know, it may not be of interest to everybody, but it would be of interest to me. And if it's not big or distinctive, it's going to get ground up as programmatic feedstock unless it's aggregated, right? So because it's going to get aggregated one way or the other. It's either going to get aggregated in the way the retailer likes, or it's going to get aggregated in a way that they don't. Yeah. So, and it's going to be like all the terrible websites that like, you know, everything you link to that's got 97 million banner ads on it that are all, I mean, that's what <laughs> oh, this I is going to, yeah. yeah, this is, I mean, but yeah. that's, and it's going to cost that much, like, which is yeah. nothing basically. Yes, so. exactly. And, there, and that's, that cost to serve is an important one because, yeah. you know, you, that's why you have to simplify it in the end because otherwise it just, it would just cost too much to, to actually serve. May I ask, what is your advice therefore to brands? Should they be, if they work with a hundred partners, should they be considering investing on all hundred? No, I think hundreds too many in any yeah. individual market. I, I think you have to be more selective than that. I think you have to think really hard on what your objectives are, whether it is about reach and scale, and therefore that lends itself obviously to the bigger players, or whether you've got a specific thing. If you are an artisan cheese maker, then you know you need to know where you need to play. So it's going to differ by the brand I, I and think the presence physically different. and digitally. Yeah. yeah, I think the only um, poor devils you might have to deal with with a lot are people who are in my type of role. Because if you think about a brand like Coke, right, we're, we're very locally market driven. And so when I have a global remit, when I'm thinking about, say, I don't know, top 20 markets, each one of those markets might have three or four they want to play with. Yeah. And so the aggregation for me and right. my team is we might have to think about, you know, 50 of them. But I'm not the one who's actually kind of, you know, doing yeah. the day to day work. Right. We're not done yet. Account. I'm sorry. So the, okay. the one last thing I wanted to ask you in this space is because you're touching capabilities in this space every mm. single day. And I think. It'll be great to hear your viewpoint, especially from a global remit. Do you feel the vendor community that's creating capabilities around retail media, whether it be just simple measurement, dashboarding, all the way to helping with marketing mix uh, development, is it evolved today or we've still have light years to go? 
oh, we've got a long way to go in in my experience. I think um, you know, it's still relatively new this stuff, really, when you think about it. The way but it's the exploded are the last huge. couple. Yes, they are. So we're, what's well, the reality? Of what's happening is there's a lot of spend going in that's not really being accurately measured or capably right. driven. And that's that. That can't be a sustainable model, frankly, for anybody. And so, yes, well, I think there's lots of upskilling. I mean, that's the thing for me when I talk to leaders around the, the Coke world. That's the number one thing that that people are after is how do we upskill the people so that we know, you know, how to measure what we should be measuring, how do we plan it, how do we work together, you know, how do we assess these networks capabilities, how do we take the conversation with the customers, should we put it in a JV? But all these things that are floating around, that actually the skills and capability are being built as we speak, but we're, we're nowhere near through that journey yet, for yeah. sure. Well, that actually gets to the uh, the actual next question, which is uh, which is which revolves around talent. So you've talked about the, some of the specific skills involved in what you need to be able to do, and I like the fact that there there were some hands-on keyboarding skills in there, but there's also how do you how do you work the stuff into a joint business plan? Mm-hmm. Like how do you how do you approach it differently? And I guess I have two questions within here. Um, well, one, you know, all three of us basically started our lives in the brick and focusing on the brick and brick and mortar world. You two as practitioners, mm-hmm. me as an analyst. Um, so how do you look at the evolution of that? And I guess balancing, balancing the digital world's need for digital capabilities, plus the need to understand just commerce in general. You know, I I was often fond of saying back in the day that the only, the only number I know about e-commerce that's correct is that 89% of the letters in the word e-commerce are commerce. So that's (laughs) the only thing I know with certainty. So, um, and having people with real commercial understanding to balance the digital stuff is good, but, but just generally, what are the attributes that you're looking for from an omni-channel leadership point of view, mm. just in general? But I think also it would be interesting for a global team. Like, what are the skills that you think are different for a global team versus an in-market team? Yeah, it's a good question because, um, you know, if I talk about I've been involved for 10 years or more. And I've always had the view that the really good people who work in our space, actually, they don't get distracted by the technology. Because there's there's always a shiny toy. There's always the latest yeah. thing coming down the road, right? And, and I think if you build your plans around where the technology is, you're going to make a mistake. That's not going to be a sustainable plan. So, so your, I think, your, your metaverse store is a kicking butt? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How much, how much groceries are you buying on cryptocurrency these days? And <laughs> I think it's it's really about people, not technology. And it's the it's the individuals who can think about the consumer and the shopper first and not worry about the technology so much. The technology is there to serve the thing we're trying to help the shopper or consumer do. Right. And so that and that's not everybody can do that. I think a lot of people come into our space thinking tech, tech, tech and gadgets and shiny toys and stuff. And that's obviously part of it. You have to understand it. But I think for me, particularly when you think about the, the global teams and the, the perhaps the more senior leaders, there's, there's two words which always keep coming into my mind. One is um, you need to be someone who's a bit of a translator for your business. Because this outside world is constantly changing. There's new stuff coming in. Not all of it is relevant for your business. And you have to be the person, I think, or the leadership group that goes, okay, we understand what that's about. We understand where that trend is going. And actually, here are the three things we really need to think, figure out in our business and yeah. what we need to do. So you need to translate that outside world to the inside world for, you, yes. for your own organization. I think that's one thing. The, the other one that keeps coming up is you need to be an evangelist. You need to be the one in your business who's very difficult to do. Yeah, it is difficult. It's not. It's not easy. You Especially when you have a lot of hardcore trained brick and mortar folks. And I've experienced this prior to the role that I'm in today for close to a decade, where the brick and mortar folks would always say, "Keep that away. Keep yeah. that away. Our yeah. merchandiser is not interested." Right. I don't believe that's true, though. 
I don't believe it's true. I mean, either. now in my current role, I see that every day. So. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you the way I think sometimes you can start to change people's mindsets. When, when they look at the business and say, well, it's only 10% of my business now, 90% of it is store-based, so I'm going to focus on the 90. I get it, right? But it, particularly if you're starting to think forwards in terms of your planning, how much of your growth is going to come out? Well, right, yeah. so, right? It's 40 to 50% if, if your base is 10. Probably. Sure. In some cases, all the growth. Yeah, exactly. Well, so if you ignore that, or you don't want to tackle it, you don't want to build the plan the right way, you don't want to consider that side of it, half your plan's gone. How are you going to hit your numbers? So it, you have to, I think, you know, we're increasingly in a space now where you just have to build that in. Um, and so that evangelist kind of role, I think, is really important for omnichannel leaders. To a couple of things that are interesting about it. I think the evangelism is one. It's obviously given given your old job at uh, yeah. running the being a global account director basically for Walmart, right? Yeah. So I've spent most of my life with people with that job. So yeah. like, but going way back to Bob Tufts in the 1990s. Oh goodness. Wow, so, uh, the past. Yeah, there you go. So uh, I mean, yeah. name dropping from well, then, yeah, and then Julie, when Julie Hamilton had that job so and stuff like that. unfortunately, I know these names. So, yeah. yeah, well, these are all, this is the... Like, do I qualify the, for Geezer? This is, yeah, the, yeah, I am now qualified for the Great Pyramid of Geezers. Um, so <laughs> these are all people that had the, the Simon job before Simon had come, mm. the, um, that job. And from a global account director point of view, there was so much there around capability transfer and best practice right. understanding and all that, and commercial firefighting. Mm -hmm. But that role generally never got the bandwidth to be able to really get after opportunity as much as you would like. Yes. I think from a from in the role you have now, this idea around the evangelism mm -hmm. and the it's ten percent of your business, but it's fifty percent of your growth. The ability to tie that evangelism to commercial outcomes, I think, right. is one of the things that we're starting to see. Best in you know best in class companies figuring out which is how do I take the commerce part of e-commerce and really turn it into what's the opportunity not the problem. Yeah, and I think particularly if you tie it to the first thing I was talking about, which yeah. is it's about people, not technology. Yes. So it's not just about the tech stuff. It's about yeah. you know actually the way shoppers are shopping is changing, yeah. and therefore that's the bit you plan. And some of that's going to be in stores, some of it's going to be off platform, some of it's going to be in the e-com environment. You need to just be thinking about that as one thing yeah. and planning that accordingly. So. Yeah. Simon, can I flip it on the other side of its head and ask you the reverse question? These evangelists, the digital evangelists, they usually come with a hardcore digital training. Mm. And they are the ones who look at brick and mortar and call that dinosaur prehistoric, <laughs> and they often look down upon that channel completely. I see both sides of the fence struggling with each other. You've got the hardcore brick and mortar veterans not wanting to touch digital with a 50-foot pole, but on the other hand, you have the digital evangelists who look at that side of the fence and it's dinosaurian. That's not correct either, and the evangelism no. will only be so successful unless you take time to understand the other channel. True? Correct. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, store, I've never subscribed to the view that stores are going to go away. It's no. always going to be an important element of it and probably the majority not in any planning horizon that anyone no, cares about. i'm going to be so, well yes. retired before that would ever become a, <laughs> you know a possibility so yeah. you know we we have to recognize that if you really are people centric and you really are consumer centric that's where the bulk of people are going to do the bulk of their grocery shopping and therefore the stores are vitally important um not just as a as a experience and but you know fulfillment and all those areas you know if you, you take about most of the omnichannel the big grocery retailers you know they're the store is absolutely front and center in terms of being, you know, part of the fulfillment model, um, as well as, you know, being reinvented as a destination, um, as, as a way that people want to experience certain things. And particularly when you start to throw, you know, further forward, I think, um, I can see a time in which we really do have to reinvent the store. And you'll see a lot of different retailers are sort of starting to play in this area to make them much more experiential, much 
more enjoyable places to spend time, frankly, mm -hmm. rather than just you know charging up and down a few aisles with a car. Right. So yeah. That was never much fun. So let me remind our audience that I'm speaking today with our repeat guest, Simon Miles from the Coca-Cola Company. So take us through, take your thoughts on planning as it relates to commercial strategy. When annual plans are built within a brand, do they now have to be built for retail to an omni-channel lens? Or is it still pretty much a top-down plan on brick and mortar? Driving in digital is just a bolt-on to cover the gaps. <laughs> Has been in the past, for sure. That sort of the you know, 90 10 thing that we were just uh, discussing, I think, manifested itself in planning so that all the planning went into the store plan and then it was like, oh, yeah, I need a couple of slides on the uh, right. on what the digital plan looks like. Clearly, my view, that that's not the right way to go. We've got to be much smarter at, at, at doing that because of the growth potential in it. And, and we have a, a phrase that we use a lot um, Coke, which is around being consumer centric but customer back and customers for us being you know retailers and, yeah. and um, qsrs and so on um, and so you know we build the plans with the consumers in mind which was the point you know we were talking about earlier which is irrespective of the channel they happen to shop in at any point in time and then you build back the right plans then that fulfill that for the customer right. as well um, and and it's interesting for us because we, we've um Historically, there was one of our former chief execs, now called Robert Woodruff, had a famous saying which he coined, which was within an arm's reach of desire. That's yep. what drove, you know, a lot of the distribution-led growth of making sure that availability was king um, for the success of Coke. And it drove us for decades, and you know, still does as well in many places. You think about the modern uh, expression of that; it it means that you have to be present on, you know, all the digital devices that we all own, as well as stores. Right? We just need to be there, and we need to be present, and availability. Whatever that means today is what should be driving your planning um, process so that you're thinking about well, that so. right the way through. And so for me, we, we probably had some plans that were disjointed, right? So built for the stores and then you bolt on a couple of slides. Then we were a bit more connected, I think, in the last few years where we, were, we got better in certain places, certainly at saying, let's, let's build this as one. We've got to get from connected to integrated. That's okay. got to be one plan that mm -hmm. just Very well is agnostic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one, especially now that you've got like a media joint business plan as well, which exactly. is an entirely different animal. So, yes. and uh, shameless plug, but November 16th in Chicago, the retail city side of my life, we're running an event called Double Jointed Planning, where we're right. trying to bring together the teams that build media plans and the teams that understand commercial plans and try to get them to talk to each other. So yeah. it's either going to be great or a colossal <laughs> failure. I can't really tell. No, which, but, but it's great it's, you're doing it, though. Uh, At the time this podcast is aired, we'll know. Yes, that's true. So uh, we will do so we will let, determine. So uh, let's make a commitment that in mid-December you will tell us. I will. T I will tell you yeah. whether it was. Uh, whether I mean, it was one of the tricks that um, Brian, you, you sort of think about that integrated planning yeah. and the way that, particularly when you start to talk about media as well, I mean, it's, it's hard enough just writing a kind of business plan yeah. around, um, you know, sales plan if yeah. for a customer. If you start to bolt the, the media stuff on, because the cadence is so different. Oh, the way it works. That's that's such a big challenge. So you'll get a kick out of this. So when I was on Omnicom, uh, we ran shopping marketing for a bunch of clients. So. Um, got a call from our media team. Um, it's March. They're like, well, you know, we're really trying to activate. You know, we're going to tie together with the store. So we're, we're really trying to, we really want to do something for Easter. I'm like, of what year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But boats kind of sailed on the Easter yeah, yeah. that's in how, two how many weeks. How do you think are available? In two yeah. weeks from now? Like, like, maybe we should have, maybe we should have thought of this. Like, I said, I assure you right now that someone in your company is planning Easter next year. Go find them. Right. So, uh, so go find the commercial person that's building the 12-month-out plan for this guy. It was, yeah. it was a very um, large customer. That I mean, the, the other thing I often get in a similar vein is, yeah. well, we don't know what the plan is going to be next year. 
What? And I'll say, well, I can tell you what the plan's going to be, right? So January's going to be New Year, New Year. Then it's going to be, you know, Valentine's Day. Then it's going to be Easter. I'm just guessing. We're going to go into the summer programme, right? It's going to be some kind of big sporting event. And then it's going to be back to school. Then it's going to be Halloween. And we're going to be in the holiday season. Yeah. What else do you need to know? <laughs> we, we, can, we can do that, right? Here, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a calendar of cats hanging off of trees. I can show you our plan for the year. Yeah. So. So, so um, let's work around that as a start. Well, and it is interesting, too, because I think this is one of these, like when you talk about... Although you do realize I'd love to have a calendar of cats hanging up. I think, and we should we should have a CPG-ass cat calendar. Um, but when you think customer back... I have three cats in case you're wondering. Yeah, he does. Something. They're, they're oh, quite cute. Okay, there you go. Um, I'm not allergic to any of them, unfortunately. The, um, the, when you think customer back, it's one of the things I was talking to a client about the other day. It's like, well, look, I don't know what you think happens here. It was the marketing side. The longest cycle thing you do as a company, apart from R&D, is build the Walmart plan again. Mm-hmm. That's actually the, the furthest out stake in the ground you have about demand creation and conversion as a business mm-hmm. is your Walmart plan again. So your quote-unquote long-term marketing plans, your innovation plan, is like a bunch of spaces held on the Walmart planogram mm-hmm. 16 months from now. You don't know what that innovation is yet, but you're holding space for it because yeah. you convinced them to do that. But like the, the whole notion that you can run a marketing calendar six to eight months out and liaise that to a retailer's 15 to 24 month calendar is always been kind of challenging. Like, and now it just gets exacerbated when you're trying to tie it. Yeah, it has. I mean, I used to run the shop and marketing team when I was in the, in the UK business. Yeah. Um, and, and it was the same challenge. Exactly. Yeah. That. And I ran the category team. So you, you know, yeah. saw a different side of it. Right. So, so you're absolutely right. All of these kind of different yeah. elements the, which go the, into The marketer's building. drawing the innovations on the train to, on the train, on the train up to Chesant. So, uh, <laughs> Um, so, you know, so all these departments have all got different kind of timelines they're trying to work with. And, and to get a really integrated plan is, I know we're kind of semi-joking about it, but actually yeah. the reality of that is fiendishly difficult yes. for, for big organizations. There's good reasons why they work to the timelines they already do. Yes. But actually, if we're going to really join these things up and be very powerful in terms of the way we can we can influence consumer behavior, right. then we've got, we just got to think differently. And it's it's going to take a while to get there. It's, yeah. it's a big beast to chat to take on. Well, now that we've solved that easy problem, let's move on to another easy one. So, um, so peace in the Middle East with our pyramid. No, um, how do you think about metrics that matter? Like, what's yeah. what does that phrase mean to you? How does that come to life within your organization? And how does like a global team then connect the measures that you use that matter to the measures that you know matter to the markets? How does that connectivity yeah. unfold? Yeah, it's a tricky one. This, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, because that's why, that's why I asked it. yeah, in in some ways we've got more data than we know what to do with, and in others we, we don't have any data. Right. So, it, it, and I think it's true for most organisations. The way I would answer it is, it, it really needs to start with being clear on what your objectives are, mm-hmm. because we can chuck a lo- load of data at all sorts of things, but if we're not very clear on what it was we were trying to achieve, we're probably just going to get a bunch of numbers and no insight. Yeah. And you and you see that you know repeated time and time again. And, and the reason I sort of stress that is because with a portfolio like we've got, we've got tons of you know diff- brands in different stages of their lives, right? And so if you've got a relatively new brand that's trying to establish itself, you'd want to build out some metrics which talk to things like, you know, um, you building awareness at yeah. the very basic level, right? But also, you know, new to brand and stuff as we're starting to get smarter and, and, and work with the retailers. So, so those kind of metrics that would feed into a brand, that's at that stage will be yeah. fundamentally different to what I might do on a brand like Coca-Cola, which is typically in, you know, everybody's household at some point in the year, everybody's heard of it, but actually maybe what I need to do is get some people who are buying in occasionally to buy in more frequently. And so then it becomes about frequency and basket and, you know, transactional and all those kind of things. So there's just different, you've got to cut it according to what you're really trying to do for an individual um, piece of work or an individual campaign. 
And what I see far too much of is people saying, oh, well, really, all we want is ROAS and ROI. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, come on. You know, it's just too blunt at all, right? You've got to get right. underneath. You've got to get to the drivers of this, yeah. depending on what you're trying to achieve in the first place. Well, and as a brick and mortar person, it's, it's like so irritating because the whole ROAS conversation is like a trade spend conversation from 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Like you've known through your whole career that the best way to maximize ROAS in a trade environment is to run a really deep promotion, right? right? It's like, which is fine, but, and if the only thing you ever wanted to do was to make every individual discrete event you ran the hey, most wait, effective event you could. are you saying if you put a deep promotion, you can move more units? Yeah, it's just, it's really Discovery a of the earth. radical economic <laughs> theory here. I'm, 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 I'm submitting this to the Nobel Committee. But there's a million reasons why maximizing individual transaction level ROAS mm-hmm. as the only thing you want to do We've known this in the analog world forever. It's a yes. terrible idea. Yes. Like it's a bad strategy. And the digital world hasn't caught up to that yet at all. No, it hasn't. And I think partly that the reason for that is because, you know, these, these networks and things are being stood up and are being built in different ways. And we're not quite sure on the data sharing agreements and right. all this kind of stuff. Right? So, so we're filling in some gaps along the way. And yeah. so there was, where can you go to? So you end up going up, right, to something that kind of people get to. Yeah. But I think we're getting to a place now with, with more robustness around the data and more collaboration between retailers and suppliers and sales and marketing and marketing their agencies and stuff that we're starting to build out a much more um, yeah. intelligent picture of that that's insights and data driven. What about measuring some of the basic capabilities? Are we past that in the industry where we no longer need like a content scorecard? Or those things, do they still matter to the day? I don't think they get looked at that much, if I'm honest. Not them. anymore. Not not by the practitioners, but I think I think there's a there's still a, a role for them in terms of just being able to drive perhaps some consistency mm. at a more senior level where I, I see yeah. them getting used more. I think you know even a few years ago when I was back in in the UK market, you know we we sort of started to move a bit beyond them. Yeah, we'd use it just to communicate upwards mm-hmm. and outwards, but for us, hands-on managing the business, that wasn't really the best way to do that. Do you all actually look at ratings interviews? Does it even matter? Because the brand is iconic; everyone knows who the brand is. Yeah, it does. But I think I think there's always interesting bits in there. You need to be always listening to your consumers, no right. matter. No matter what brand it is, how so famous it's, it's it is, the how quality it is. of the review, you're yeah, it for, is. not so much the stars. I think that's right, and mm. I, and I think you know it, certainly that would be true for Coca Cola brand Coca Cola. Um, obviously, don't forget we have lots of brands that are still establishing themselves, so there might be a you know role for it. It'll flag issues, um, you know, if we've got product quality issues or whatever it is that can get flagged that way sometimes. So I think any organisation doesn't pay attention to consumer feedback is is uh, not in a good place. Well, well said and understood. So now we're going to go back into that retail media world via a retail question. <laughs> Shocking, surprising today. <laughs> how is Coca-Cola evolving and how you collaborate with just retail customers around this omni-channel world? When you plan with a customer now, is everything approach both physical and digital? And is digital a core component of that very word JBP, a joint business planning process with retail media in it? Yeah, um, I think it's it's probably different in, in different places. So the ambition certainly is to have that all in one place and to be very much more joined up. I think if you just take e-commerce for a minute or commerce and you think about stores and, and online, pretty much everyone, we are planning that in one place and that's a joint conversation. Um, and I think that's the right way to go with that part of it. Retail media has come on more lately and I think that's still not quite um, joined up in terms of how that is. And I think there's some good reasons for that. Partly it's new. Partly, I think one of the big reasons is there are silos 
both within the retailer organisations and within the brand organisations that make those conversations difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't quite um, bottomed that out. But you know, the way I look at it is we have an ambition to be the best value creation partner for our customers. And so if we're going to do that, we have to have that broader view of value in whatever way that that um, ends up uh, being something we want to, to share with, with the customers. So whether that is actually in a conversation about you know, media and commerce and things that drive the top line, or whether it's things that drive the bottom line, or whether it is things about efficiencies, so supply chain is part of that conversation, you have to have a much broader view of what the commercial agreement and terms between the, the organizations are. Digital has been, I think, encompassed in that for, for quite a while. But I think, you know, there's still a way to go, particularly with this newer part on, on retail media. And there's an interesting nuance in that, I think, around JDP specifically, which you asked about. And it comes back to this point um, about cadence and the way that they work. Because for me, I think your joint business plan between a retailer and supplier, you want the media bit connected but not integrated. Absolutely. Right. Mm. Whereas we've talked before about, you know, integrated. So, because I think, you know, obviously there are things that, you know, trade to, turn to trade and, you know, planograms and all the rest of it that, that get rolled into a right. traditional JVP, which right. anniversaries and we know what how that game's played. We've played it for decades, right? right. Yep. Retail media, obviously, brand campaigns don't work that way. Right. You know, they come in and out and they've got to be judged on their own merits. And right. so it doesn't make any sense to roll that into me. Right. However, what does make sense is connecting the two. Yes. Back to the planning discussion that we were having, if you get enough line of sight, enough transparency across the organization, you can make sure that when the brand campaign is going live, when the off-platform stuff is happening, yeah. you're also lining up stuff on-platform and in-store well, to make the, the best of the whole thing. Well, and this was one of the conversations at the IAB conference last, uh, which was when we recorded this last week. Um, it was Mike Myrna from Mars and uh, Mike from Roundell were on stage, and they both agreed, you know, Mike more of a media guy and the Roundell team, that the commercial team really needs to own the conversation. And the way I kind of paraphrased back how Mike explained it was was really interesting. I was like, well, basically what you're saying is, is that if you let your media agency only handle the media conversation, they're going to look at it, go and say, that's expensive. Yeah. But what they don't understand is exactly what you just said. How do you connect it? And basically yeah. I said, well, look, you basically have people at the table that don't understand the pro quo and the quid pro quo, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they just don't know what to ask for back. Yeah. And as a result, they just look at it and say, well, that's too expensive. I don't want to buy that. Right. And then you end up in a very in a very dysfunctional conversation. Very quickly. Yes, but it also opens up a, the, the, the opposite of that, which is you have, you know, salespeople, say, yeah. sitting in front of merchandising right. who don't understand who are trying the to have media conversations that they're not equipped to have. No, yeah, so there's a massive upskilling thing. And, yeah. and this is where I come back to the whole collaboration piece. I think, I think collaboration is such an important element of the success of this yeah. that we have to collaborate better and differently to the way we've done it in the past. You have to have different people in the room. Right. You, have to have, you have the ability to, to collaborate inside the four walls of your organization so that right. you know sales and marketing are much more joined up that we know, really genuinely know what's going to happen and then we, we we commit then to having the right conversations and yeah of course the, the media agency will be be instructed to, to come in you know and actually sure. do, do some of the stuff but it's that that conversation to your point brian is is absolutely right you've yeah. got to be much smarter about how you connect the quid pro quo this thing because there's lots to gain by doing that yeah. I think, on both sides excellent all right well we're going to we're gonna. We've taken up a, a fair amount of your time at this point, so we're probably try to we're probably try to land the plane here. We're gonna land it in the future, I think. What do you think are the next big things that are coming for you for your role at Coke and just the, the the space that you're in? What are some of the next new things? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's loads, right? But right. I, for me, the really big one at the moment that 
also gets quite a bit of airtime is is artificial intelligence. As I say, we, we had not mentioned AI we yet. We would lose our license to podcast exactly. if you didn't mention Somebody it. Somebody had, had to bring it up. Right. Thank you. For the over under was twenty, and we yeah, we went we went way over, man. That was over. that was good. This was like a this was like a conversation about real things. We this was, this bankrupt this was interesting. So. So, so let me try and land some real stuff in, yeah. in AI then. So. Yeah. I mean, what we're already seeing, obviously, is is the impact of it playing out in, in some efficiency stuff, in how it's being used sort of more behind the scenes, but also now in front of consumers around things like search. So you look at what Instacart have been doing, you look at what Carrefour have been doing. It's changing the way that search kind of is, is working um, or will do, I think. Um, and I think what you need to think about with it is, is the whole sort of shopper focus. Again, not getting distracted by the technology for the technology's sake, no. but actually saying, how, how do we use that capability to to be focused on what shopper, shopping behavior is and where that's going yeah. and make sure that we make it, you know, faster, better, cheaper, easier for yeah. the shop, right? And so the other side of it, I think, is we will see through the use and deployment of AI more task automation, probably more subscription models as that becomes, yeah. um, you know, more obvious way that people use. But I think the, the flip side of that is if you, if you automate a lot more of the grocery shopping experience, what you might end up with is a world in which you have a lot of categories that, you probably don't want to spend too much time thinking about shopping, but you sure as heck don't want to run out of the stuff in your home. Right. So you know, cleaning products and, and if you've got a small child in the house, diapers, that kind of stuff, right? But the other side of it then is it opens up potentially to be more, a more enjoyable, experiential, impulsive, occasion-based, driven, yeah. you know, shopper-focused um, shopping experience. And I think that's a really good thing. So I think we're going to see more of that. But what's even more interesting, I was listening to something the other day about um, it was a guy talk from um, MIT talk, uh, talking about how he's using AI, and he, he's an expert in cosmology, right? So he was talking about how he's using oh, okay. it. But I'll, I'll come back to grocery in a minute with it. Oh, no, um, just stay here. This is great. And, uh, yeah. and what, what he was saying was, and he, he was using the analogy of when, you know, the sort of um, space mission to the moon, right? And he said, look, we had, we had to figure out three core areas. One was, have we got enough power to launch this thing? Yeah. And it seems to me, if you relate it back to the AI argument around um, grocery, is we're figuring out the power that this thing's got, right? Have yeah. we got how far is it going to go? Yeah. Then he said the second thing was, if you've got enough power, can you steer it? Right. And and I think for us, from can, an AI, can you hit of, the moon? <laughs> yeah, it's like so you're trying to steer this thing. So in our world, that is, you know, how what's the what's the right use cases for it? How does it help shoppers? How do we work together? How do we collaborate? How do we how do we integrate our plans? All that kind of stuff is, yeah. is for me is steering the thing towards yes. it. Yes. And he said the final thing then was, are you clear on your destination? Yes. In that case, clearly it was the moon. Right. I don't know at the moment that anybody's articulating the destination for AI in its right. in, within the grocery no. industry. And so I was thinking about this the other day because I Very really enjoyed well said, that kind of – Yeah, thank you. That, that three-part thing was quite interesting. I thought – so for me – and I wrote a very long sentence, which I'm going to read you. Um, oh, okay. Which I need to wordsmith down, but I think it contains – I think where this space can go, and it, it probably applies to e-commerce generally – I think if we get to a place where the destination for me is consumers are delighted to get what they want, when they want, however they want, at a price they are happy to pay from sustainable, smart ecosystems that are designed for speed and efficiency, driving economic value for everyone. So that to me is the reason why we're trying to deploy some of these tools and technologies to deliver a better experience for the shop. By, by the way, if you want if you want a simpler Costco six rights of merchandising are basically what you just said, right time, right place, right quantity, right? It, it is. So, it's, yeah, it's so a, that's right. With with the environmental sustainability, with the sustainable yeah. ecosystem piece on top. So yeah. But that's so, where we've got to go with the technology. I think yeah. at the moment there's a lot of great work going in, yeah. but I don't see 
yet what what the moon is right well and i well and i think that's it's a good place to end too because i think just some of the basic disciplines around merchandising which are actually remarkably consistent when you strip the techno babble away mm. from what you're trying to do online and what you're trying to do in store. There's an actually an amazing amount of similarity between yes. what it is you're trying to accomplish from a, from a presentation point of view. So yeah. that as a destination seems pretty good. Yeah. So like your sentence. Very cool. Thank you. I loved uh, how you framed up AI as it shouldn't be a capability looking for a problem. It should be clear identification of the problems that can be solved with AI. Right. And the industry has missed that completely today. Yeah. So let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content, seven days of programming on LinkedIn. Yes, we do have even weekends on our URL, cpgguys.com. And if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, please drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, community discussion, join us, email, contact at cpgguys.com, and maybe you can join us on the podcast just like our repeat guest today, Simon did. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar at the top. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Brian, me, Peter. 27,000 plus followers on LinkedIn is no joke. This podcast wouldn't exist without you. Thank you for all the direct messages, feedback, comments, clicks, likes, listens you do for our podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Simon, sincerely thank you for being a repeat guest and making time during a busy conference. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoyed seeing you. Well, you're one of our most downloaded episodes, so now you're competing with yourself here. So (laughs) So So it's going to be fun watching how you compete with yourself. Brian, (laughs) quick summary. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, well, one, that was awesome. Thank you for, for sharing perspective on all this stuff. I think there's, there are probably, I think, a million good ideas in here, but I'll try to simplify it to a, a, the big ones. One, I love that idea around standards becoming critical as retail media has to compete with other media and the need to get standards right in order for spend to move funds. If the retailers want to be a media platform, then you can't be as hard to work with as, as retail media networks tend to be at the moment. Your phrase connected but not integrated, I think is a really powerful one. You use that several times, and I think it's really important. That idea around how the conversation with data and everything has to get back to the retailers and their store and their problem. You've got to find a pathway back to that, even in a media conversation. I thought that was, I thought that was just a really compelling and simple but really useful insight. You talked a lot about needing to upskill the people to be able to have the right conversations, particularly with traditionally trained salespeople in the digital media world, making sure that they're equipped to even have the beginnings of that conversation and, and, and do that. Your point about it being about the people and not about technology, I think was really a fascinating one. And the two roles of translator between the outside world and your world and evangelist to inspire and motivate, I thought those were really good ways to think about the skills that leaders need in that space. So I thought those were two very good things. The idea around that clarity of measurement starts with clarity of objective and that the right measures will vary based on the objective. But the clearer you are around the objective, the better a chance you have of getting to the right measure. You know, and I think that was also true with the AI conversation, obviously. You know, if you're trying to, you know, if you're if you're launching a rocket and just trying to make fireworks or whatever or do something fun, that's cool. But if you wanna you wanna do something accomplished, pick a spot and try to hit it. Um, you know, and I and I thought the conversation about how the media plan and the commercial plans need to work together were interesting. And I, I, I think it was your panel at Shop Talk Europe, right, where you were on live with Carrefour? Yeah. Yeah, where you guys were basically in an argument about whose AI was going to, like, well, we're going to write we're going to write all your product descriptions today. It's like, fine, we'll put all our shopper guides in AI, and we'll be AI arguing with AI. I like that, because it was very, very Carrefour. It was very confrontational. I enjoyed that. So, that uh, very interesting so, AI arguing yeah, with AI. Well, that's, yeah, yeah Carrefour will find any reason to have an argument. So, um, so God bless them. So I thought that was fun. So that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. That's a wrap for this episode, a power-packed episode. We would have expected nothing less from Simon. It's exactly what we got. 
We will see you soon on another episode of the CPG guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.